You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Well, it's a challenging thing to try to nail down the exact situation of this psalm. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know when it was written. We don't know from where it was written. And yet, what we do know is, in fact, enough to get a good sense of what it is that was going on in Psalm 71. For starters, the writer of this psalm is not young. Did you catch that? Look at verse 9. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Or moving down to verse 17. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. There's been a gap between his youth and now when he's still proclaiming his wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. So he's not young. In fact, he's grown old. And not only that, but he's grown old in such a way that he feels it. You know what I'm saying? He sees it. He notices it. He recognizes that he is not the man that he used to be in regard to his physical capabilities. He's grown old and is, in his own words, his strength is spent. So we know that about this author. We also know that this author, this psalmist, the worn man that he feels himself to be, he has enemies. Verse 4, rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. Verse 10, for my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together. He's got enemies, and his enemies want him dead. But unlike himself, the words on his enemy's mouth is not, oh yeah, us too, our strength is also spent. That's not what his enemies are saying. What are the words on his enemy's mouth? Pursue. Seize. This old, wearied man has enemies, and his enemies are like the vicious lions in the thicket. He's this worn-out, wounded animal that they are surrounding. It's not a promising situation if you are the psalmist here. Am I right? His enemies in the background, full of strength and vigor, himself in the foreground, worn out and weak, Do you get a sense for just how defenseless he would maybe feel in their presence? Do you get a sense for just how threatening his enemies would appear as he looks upon them? That's a problem, but there's a whole nother layer to this problem. A whole nother layer in this problem that we need to recognize because it's this layer, this aspect of the psalm, that actually incites the psalm itself. It gives this thing weight, gives this thing significance, a sense of consequence like 
whatever happens to this man has bearing, has relevance for a far larger group of people. What is it? What is this aspect that adds a surprising weight to a situation about an unknown man in an unknown time with unknown enemies in an unknown location? Why does this thing have significance for you and me? Well, it's this. It's not that his enemies noticed this man has slowed down and so they merely conclude he's weak. That's not it. It's not that his enemies have noticed his strength isn't there anymore, so they conclude he's vulnerable. That's not it. It's that while at other times his enemies might have looked upon this man and seen him in his strength, seen him in his health, and concluded, look at his power, Look at his vitality, look at his prosperity, look at his position. Surely what that means is his God is with him. Well, if his God is with him, we're certainly not going to go after him, right? But now, now when they see him wrung out, when they see him exhausted, now when they speak concerning him and consult together, they conclude all together, surely what his current state tells us is that his God has left him. Do you see why that's a problem? Their conclusion goes vertical. Their conclusion goes up. Their conclusion says, what I see with my own eyes tells me a spiritual reality between that man and his God. So do you see the kind of bearing this situation now might have on you and me who worship that same God that they're talking about? What kind of relevance it might have for us if we're to likewise look in on this man and think, hey, you know, I actually look an awful lot like that man. You might look in and think, actually, to be honest, I think my situation is worse than that man. So, if it's true, that his situation signifies that God has left him, we'll turn the camera around. Would it not mean the same for me in my current state? Do you see the significance that comes in here? He's talking about their, their enemies. Their enemies are talking about our God who we worship and what it means if his people slow down and find themselves weak. So the way his enemies are looking upon this man, concluding his poor physical situation as a sign of spiritual desertion by God. That's what it means to be a, a portent. You see that in verse 7? Portent is not a, a word we commonly use, but you can see it in verse 7. I have been as a portent to many. Put simply, a portent is a sign. 
a sign given by God to signal attention. Like blinking lights, look here, look here, look here. Do you want to know how I feel about this person? Do you want to know how I feel about these people? Look at what you see with your own eyes. That's what a portent is. Example, uh, the Egyptian plagues were portents. Signs of God's judgment against Egypt. You see the plagues, you bring them upward and recognize God is judging the Egyptians. Moreover, the prophet Ezekiel, he himself was a portent. He served as a portent, a sign of God's judgment against his own people, against Israel. God is saying, you look at Ezekiel, look at what he's doing. It's a symbol of how I feel about these people as a whole. In these cases and many others, when we see an example of a person or a thing serving as a portent, a sign, a physical sign of a spiritual reality, God tells us that is what they are. Like, we don't need to guess. Is this person important? Is this not? Is this a sign from God? Is it not? God tells us. God says, look at these signs. Look at these wonders. It's showing something about a spiritual reality. Now, the psalmist's enemies, without a word from God, the enemies are looking upon this man and drawing that conclusion on their own. They are looking at this man, seeing him as the shell for the man that he used to be. And they're concluding that this man is forsaken by God. Now that's the enemies. But if you look at verse 7 and you see, I have been as a portent to many... It might very well be that it's his enemies and even his friends who are assuming the same. He doesn't say, I've been a portent to my enemies. He says, I've been a portent to many. Like, it's common for others to look in on me in my current situation and think, God has forsaken me. It wouldn't be the first time that a group of people would look in on a friend and assume his current state means God has forsaken him. Do you remember Job? Do you remember the conclusion of his friends as they saw him? Okay, so that's what we got going on here. And we're going to look at uh, what, how this man is going to respond, but zooming out just for a moment. Here's our characters, here's our principal situation. Worn, tired man. Wicked, cruel enemies. The charge from the enemies, this man is forsaken by God. It does not look good for the psalmist. This is not a good day in his life. And yet, it's reality. It's his reality. It's the position he is in, and because of that, he has to react to it somehow. How could have he chosen to respond? He could have gone into denial. Those enemies, they're all talk. I don't need a refuge. He could have gone into despondency. I'm a goner. What's the use seeking refuge against them? He could have puffed himself up in pride. I still got it. 
I still have what it takes. I am my own refuge. He could have put his trust in others. I'll call on people more powerful than they, and they will be my refuge. Well, the fact of the matter is this psalmist did none of those things. But in fact, what he did was set his sights on the only refuge that he had ever known. The only refuge that throughout his entire life he had ever known. He says, verse 1, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. He goes to God for refuge in the midst of these enemies, in the midst of these accusations. He goes to God and says, I will find my shelter here. So that's what we're going to look at for the remainder of this sermon. We're going to look at how he moves toward God as his refuge. And we're going to see three things. We see that first, he calls out to God. That's his first movement toward God. He calls out to him. Second, he recalls the character of God. He calls out and he remembers the character of his God. Lastly, thirdly, he draws a conclusion concerning God and his care for his people. That was a bit of a mouthful. He draws a conclusion concerning God and the way God cares for his people like himself and like you and me. So first, the psalmist calls to God. Let's just recognize for a moment, I'm assuming the majority of people in this room have felt the way this psalmist feels. Your situation's not the same. There's other things going on, but you have probably felt the type of crushing weight, the type of onslaught of accusations, the type of lies just clouding up his mind. I'm assuming majority of you people, you, everyone here in this room, the majority of you have felt that. Let's just acknowledge how difficult it is in this, those situations, when you just feel like crushed down to the ground, how much of a challenge it can be to even call out to God. You've been there before? If you've ever been so crushed down to the ground that you want to call out to God, you want to say, God, help, save me, but it's like it gets stuck in your throat. It's like you can't even do it. You can't even get yourself to go there. It's all the more amazing and instructive that in this moment, God gives this man grace to not only go there, to call out to God, but to do so over and over and over and over again. Verse one, let me never be put to shame. Verse two, deliver me, rescue me, incline your ear to me, save me. Verse 3, be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. Verse 4, rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked. Verse 9, do not cast me off, forsake me not. Verse 12, be not far from me, make haste to help me. Verse 18, do not forsake me. The psalmist, amazingly, in the midst of this situation, calls 
He lifts his voice and he calls out to God. That should encourage us and should instruct us. You help us to do the same. We're sitting there with him. So first thing, in his movement toward God is his refuge. He calls out to God. Second, he calls to God and then he recalls the character of God. He recalls that he is faithful. Verse 22, I will praise you for your faithfulness, oh my God. He recalls that God is holy. Verse 22 again, I will sing praises to you, O Holy One of Israel. He recalls that God is the type of God who protects his people. He says, verse 3, you are my rock and my fortress. Verse 7, you are my strong refuge. He recalls that this God is the type of God who sustains his people. Verse 6, upon you I have leaned from before my birth. Do you get get how crazy that statement is? Before I was ever even born, I was utterly reliant upon you. And as I leaned against you, you held me. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. And then more than anything else, over and over, he says, God is righteous. He recalls that God is righteous. Verse two, in your righteousness, deliver me. Verse 15, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts. Verse 16, I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Verse 19, your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. Verse 24, my tongue will talk of your righteous help. See, the reason he knows his words don't fall on deaf ears, the reason he knows not one of the words he speaks to God are spoken in vain is because, catch this, he knows something about his God that his enemies don't. He knows something about his God that his enemies can't even imagine. They haven't come to grips with. He knows something about his God. He knows that though friend or companion may spurn you, that though neighbor or co-worker may turn on you, that even brother or sister or mother or father may say to you, good riddance, I'm gone. This psalmist knows that God won't. For those who are truly his, God does not forsake his people because God is not like man. Amen? He is not like man, untainted by sin, perfectly holy, always there, never running out of energy, never tired. He is always there. And the psalmist knows that. So he gladly lifts his voice to the one who hears him when he calls. And it is upon his character the psalmist rests his whole case. It is entirely upon the character of God that this says, this is what my life depends upon. And I'm more than happy to set my life there. The character of God. So he calls to God. 
He recalls the character of God. And lastly, he draws a conclusion concerning God and his care for his people. He does so in a really unique way. He draws a conclusion concerning God and his care for his people by connecting it to his own praise of God. Let me say that again slightly differently. He cites his own upward praising of God as the key to understanding God and his care for his people. Now, how does this work? The connection between his praise of God and God cares for him. This is a really important question. How does this work? His praising of God and God's care for him. How do those function together? How do they relate? Does he reason that the way God cares for his people is conditioned upon whether or not they agree to praise him in return? Is that the key? Is that the connection? Like the psalmist is saying, God, I will praise you in return for you saving me. Is that how the psalmist wants to understand the connection between his praise and God's care? Well, it can't be because there's nothing conditioned. There's nothing conditional about words like my praise is continually of you. My mouth is filled with your praise. I will praise you more and more. So it can't be conditioned. That won't work in this song. Here's a second option. Does he reason that the way God cares for his people is based upon whether or not his people have earned his favor. Is that the key? Is that the connection? Like, God, you should save me because I've earned it through my praise of you. Like, just think of how many times I've praised you. Why, even now I'm praising you. Don't I deserve to be saved by you? I mean, think about all the hours I've racked up of praising your name. Is that, is that the connection here? Well, it can't be, <laughs> because nothing is said here in this entire psalm about the psalmist deserving anything. The focus of this psalm is overwhelmingly on God and his character, not the psalmist. So if he's not trying to make a deal by offering praise to God for saving him, if he's not trying to earn something from God, by saying, look how much I've praised you. What then is the connection between his praise of God and God's care for his people? You, you with me? This is really important. What is the connection between his praise of God and God's care for his people? What is the psalmist wanting us to see when he says, I will praise you, God, more and more? What he's wanting us to see is this. His praising of God and his future praising of God is a sign, an indicator 
a blinking light, a proof, God is a strong refuge. God is a mighty fortress. He is, in fact, God's man, loved by God, and not forsaken, but held tight to God's chest. His praising of God is the indicator that all that is true. His enemies have a plan to take him out. His enemies conclude God has left him. But the psalmist says, you want to know how God cares for his people? Listen to them praising him. You want to know how God cares for his people? Listen to them praising him. The psalmist continued praising of God is the sign, the indicator that God is still faithful. The words of the psalmist, the songs on his lips, the praise that flows out from his mouth show God is faithful. Now see it. See it as it reflects upon his past, how this connection works. Look at verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. See how his praise of God follows God's faithfulness? See it more clearly. Verse 17. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me. And I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. See how his praise confirms God's continued faithfulness? I still proclaim it. I still proclaim it. Now look to the future and consider his enemies saying, God has forsaken this man. Well, if that is true, and they seize him, they pursue him, they take him down, they put him down to the grave, what would you expect the psalmist to be saying then? Nothing. Nothing. Utter silence. If his enemies are right, this psalm ends with his utter silence. You get how that works? If God has forsaken him, they are successful in pursuing him, taking him down, this psalm ends with him saying nothing. Is that what we see? Verse 20, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O holy one of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do my hurt. You see, you will revive me and disappoint them. You will bring me up, you'll put them down into shame. You will comfort me and scorn them. And after you do, then like the roar of thunder falls, the bolt of lightning, I will praise you in response. I can't help but praise you in response. So he says, You want to know what the evidence is that God cares for his people? 
Hear it in my song. And brothers and sisters, hear it in our song as well. For what is sown is perishable. Do you know that? But what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, raised in power. What is sown a natural body, your natural body, if you are trusting in Jesus, will be raised a spiritual body. For we shall not all sleep. The enemies are wrong. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable. We shall all be changed, for this perishable body must put on imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass what? Our song. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? Oh, death, you have no hold on me. You know, a a few days ago, we were gathered together uh, as a community group in our house, and we were singing. Tiny little house, tiny little living room, we're singing. As we sing, the sound of our words spill out into my neighborhood every other Wednesday night. And you got to wonder, what are my neighbors thinking? When like clockwork, every other Wednesday night, they hear the sound of 15, 25 adults gathered together singing. The words this Wednesday were this, great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father, there's no shadow of turning with thee. What are my neighbors thinking where they hear those words? Or consider, how about the people who live a few blocks away from 1524 Summit? Has a single Sunday morning gone by where they have not heard 400, 500 voices singing out, thou changest not? Thou compassions, they fail not. As thou has been, thou forever will be. What do you think they, what do they think when they hear the song? Oh God, make it so that when they hear the songs of brothers and sisters, when they hear the songs of Christians saying, he is still faithful, they say, they're right. They're right. Their God has not left them. Their God has not forsaken them. They're still here. I know the kind of junk they're going through. I know the things they're they're facing day by day. I know about their problems. I know about their issues. They're a human living in a broken world. We can't help but have issues. But guess what? They're still here and they're still singing. Guess what? For all of eternity, we will sing. Our enemies won't. There will come a day when their song stops. There will never come a day when yours stops. Brothers and sisters, we want to sing this song. And when we come here on Sunday morning and we hear the songs being sung, perhaps we're coming here following the shattering of a relationship we thought would never break. Perhaps we're here on a Sunday morning following the sudden and shocking loss of a job 
we are counting on always having. Perhaps we're here on Sunday morning following the diagnosis we always feared. Or the phone call we never wanted to receive. Or the season of life we never wanted, never asked for, and see no way of getting ourselves out of. Perhaps we're on a Sunday morning feeling those types of burdens. When you hear your brothers and sisters saying, may it be that you would think they're still right. They're still right. My God is still faithful. So may we sing often of the goodness of God. May we pray along with the psalmist, Lord, keep us here. Lord, do not forsake us until we proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. So proclaim it, my brothers and sisters. Sing of his righteousness for all to hear. Now, part of our weekly proclamation of God's care for us, his people, Part of our weekly proclamation of that involves this table. Did you know that? Paul, 1 Corinthians 11, quoting Jesus, says, As often as we take this bread, drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim God who did not spare his own son but rather gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We proclaim God sent his son. He was faithful to do it. And that that son will come again. And so, if you are here today and you are trusting in Jesus as your one and only refuge. If you are trusting in Jesus to be the refuge to which you may continually come. And we invite you to take and eat with us. If you have not yet put your trust in Jesus, let me just say, he is the only infinite refuge available for you. And this time, I just plead with you to find your refuge in him. Put your trust in him during this time. So I'll invite the pastors to come. We'll distribute the bread first. You'll take it, you'll hold it, and we'll come back together and eat together. His body is the true bread. Let us serve you.